0: Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast with our Senior Pastor Josh Planthold. Great to have you with us. Calvary meets in the Joppa Falston area, north of Baltimore. If you're nearby, come join us. For all the details, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching.
1: I'd like to turn your attention this morning to the ninth chapter of Revelation. We are gonna be finishing chapter nine three teachings is all that took so what's that what's that song miracle worker <laughs> we're going to be studying cha- uh, chapter 9 verse 20 uh, verse 20 and 21 um, so today's text it's one of those texts that are often glossed by and is one of those things that I get hyper-obsessed over. <laughs> because, specifically in this case, in today's text, the Lord introduces us to the first of three lists in Revelation of the sins of the end times. The book of Revelation shows us in three separate lists the sins that will predominate in the end times. Uh, right before the Lord returns. So these lists in, 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 are, of course, uh, really important. Really important. And and they're here in Revelation 9, verses 20 and 21. Also in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, and 22, verse 15. Why these lists are so important is because these sins listed are what Satan and the demonic seek to use as tools to kill, degrade, and pervert mankind in our time. And heading into the end time. So when we come to these three lists, we really need to be locked in because God's doing us a favor. He's giving us a window into Satan's plan, and not just Satan's plan for the end, but Satan's plan for you, for your spouse, for your kids, your grandkids, Lord willing, great grandkids. This is his playbook that God so mercifully has shown us, and and this is what Satan plans to inject into our culture, into every culture, to destroy it. So what Jesus is showing his church today is is an immeasurable act of kindness. Jesus is revealing to us, again, how Satan plans to grow evil in his kingdom in and around our lives, especially in the last days. Now, before we hop into today's text, we need to be aware of something that all three lists and revelation of sins in the last days are different. So how do we reconcile that, right? (laughs) Because there are all different variations, which means that different points of the end times, there are going to be some sins that are more magnified than others at those times. However, between the three lists of sins and revelation of the end times, uh, though there are differences, there are four sins that appear in all three lists. So as we march through this book and think about the end times and how Satan wants to destroy and pervert a culture, we need to remember that there are four main sins in the end times that Jesus specifically, he three times warns us about. And the four sins are murder, sexual immorality, sorcery, which I get to talk about that today. How cool is that? And idolatry. And so as we look at today's text, what we want to give a special attention to those four because that's Satan's plan for us. Now, so far in Revelation, God has poured out so many judgments in these seals and these trumpets. And then chapter nine, the unsaved world is tormented for five months by things that sting them with their tails. And then this gives way to the sixth trumpet, which kills a third of mankind. Now, after this, verse 20 and 21, reveal, God almost pauses the the movie and reveals the heart of the unbeliever at this time. And you would think, wouldn't you, after all of these judgments, people would repent. (laughs) But this is just not what is going to happen. Uh, And you know how you know this is true? Because you think people would start repenting in our country now with what's happening. And they're what are they doing? They're doubling down in sin. And so this is what's gonna happen in the end days. So starting at verse 20, God's showing us the heart of the unbeliever and Satan's plan in the last days. Verse 20 begins our first of three lists, and we're only gonna study the first one today. Verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone of wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. So the first item on the list that's in all three lists is idolatry. And if you're a student of the Old Testament, that will be no shock to you. That's been the sin of mankind from the beginning. And like many people today in the end times, the unbelieving world, One of the things that we have to understand is people aren't afraid to worship. All of mankind worships. The difference is, what do we worship? What do we make our God? The people in the end times, the modern man, will still be a people who worship, but will be a people who refuse to worship the biblical God. Many people will worship a God, and we just saw that. They worship carved images. But most will not worship the biblical God as he describes himself in his word. And sadly, that's happening in most churches today. They will not worship God as he describes himself. And so in the end, the world will be full of worshipers. Dare I say it? The world will probably be full of churches that are worshiping false gods a fake, fictitious version of Jesus Christ. They will worship, and then then some maybe, uh, we we see this a lot with atheists, they worship and venerate themselves, (laughs) or some other false god, or some idea, or for, you know, Mother Russia we saw in the turn of this century, and there's this is what mankind does. And so the first item on our list, and in all, it's in all three lists of this book, is idolatry. And here's what we need to know, because Jesus is not writing this so that this is helpful to people in a thousand years. He's writing this to be helpful to us. The first warning to the church in all ages, every age, and the first thing we need to know today is that Satan, he wants your affections for God divided. He wants your worship for God divided. He wants your praise for God divided. What is, what is very clear in studying the Old Testament, Satan was perfectly content with allowing God's people to worship God. Most people miss this. He allows them to worship God. So long as they also, 1 Kings 18.21, worship something else alongside of him. But this is so wrong. Exodus 20 verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20 verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord am your God, am a jealous God. Deuteronomy 4:24, "For the Lord your God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. Satan knows full well the way God operates and he knows intimately, He doesn't need you to renounce your faith. He just wants you to give a portion of your praise to something else. I was driving the church this morning and I was reminded, I was talking to my mom. I haven't looked at the study since Friday. I just didn't go over my notes this morning. I I didn't do any of that. And one of the things that I realized on Sunday morning, the best thing I can do as your pastor is to pray, is to stop making this about me and my delivery, and how sharp and crisp I can be. And sometimes it's like, where am I? I know that. What you need as a pastor is a godly man. There are plenty of skilled people out there. Much, many of you are probably much more skilled than I am, but you need godly men, godly women. And I realized at some point early on in, in my ministry, it was like I was making an idol out of myself about my performance, my skill. I worked all week to hone this craft. And Sunday morning, I want to make sure I stick the landing on this sentence or do this. It's like, Josh, you're making a golden image out of yourself in your own mind. And you know, it's so humbling. I can give teachings where I'm like, I did so good on Sunday. And people are like, well, that was a stinker. (laughs) And then the teachings I want to leave with my tail tucked between my legs, someone comes up crying, oh God, save me today. I've learned it's nothing to do with me. This is God's day. This is God's word. And we are so prone, even your pastor, to make idols of themselves. And this is what Satan wants. He wants me, probably in this chair. Glorifying God while also glorifying myself. And we have to be on guard. Then verse 21 continues, and it lists four more sins. And three of them are repeated three more times in the two other lists. So again, we really need to pay attention here because Jesus is showing us three times how Satan is specifically coming after us, coming after our families, and how he plans to pollute Your life. Now, just time out. Time out. If these are sins that Satan is sewing into our culture to make it part of our fabric, isn't it going to hurt if God tries to remove them? I'm letting you know right now, there's going to be some fingers in the eye. (laughs) And so you have to resolve yourself before we come to this. Is this the word of God? If you can say yes, then as much as it may be some lemon in the old wounds, you go, okay, this is God's word. So verse 21, nor did they repent of their murders. Isn't that fascinating that all three lists have murder in them? I, I, I'm, I, from the context, I'm inclined to think that these murders refer to the killing of Christians, However, this could include war, abortion, slavery that leads to death. Uh, um, but again, I think martyrdom is probably the best bet. Satan in every age wants the death of God's people. We're introduced to this almost immediately in the Bible. Adam and Eve, they're very, they immediately have children. What does Cain want to do? I got to kill that rat Abel. Why? He's a godly man. He made him feel bad about his selfishness, his idolatry, his sin. Immediately, Cain kills his brother because he was righteous and godly. And as we think about Revelation, this martyrdom, all the way from Revelation chapter 2 until the end of the book, this martyrdom is state-sponsored. We saw in Revelation chapter 2, the state endorsed the martyrdom of Antipas, my beloved faithful servant. god Big, God-hating government is Satan's plan. And historically, big government always turns against the church. In the early 1940s, North Korea, and specifically Pyongyang, had a nickname. You know what Pyongyang's nickname was in the 1940s? The Jerusalem of the East. It was a deeply Christian country. It was arguably the most Christian country in all of Asia, until big, evil communist uh, government rose up and killed and drove all the Christians out of Pyongyang. Now you can't find a church. When Russia fell to communism between 1937 and 1941, within those four years, 100,000 Russian clergymen and 15 million Christians were killed. In the lead-up to World War II, the Nazi Party created a state-approved Christianity called, catch how they, they market this, Positive Christianity. Sound familiar? And the clergy that didn't play ball were imprisoned, and many killed. And this is a fun fact. You don't need to admit it's not fun at all, but it's a fact. uh, That meant much of the religious persecution in Nazi Germany was actually against Catholic priests because they were subservient to Rome. And old Adolf didn't like that very much, and so they had to go. Uh, Verse 21, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries. Have you found yourself thinking, what in the heck does that mean, sorceries? That word pharmakia and then later used two other times pharmakos are all in all three lists and those words are, are related. They can include summoning and speaking to, to, to demons or the demonic or mediums. You ever drive around and see palm readers? There it is. There it is. And whether those things are, are a sham or not, there's just some dude with an earpiece on Facebook finding out about your lost aunt somewhere. Whether those things are a sham or not, according to the Lord, they're deeply evil. Yeah. Now, the sorcery can also include charms, amulets, magic spells, and love potions. Don't use a love potion on me. I already love you. Um. <laughs> In my mind, it's pink and it looked like a milkshake, this love potion, with whipped cream, strawberry maybe, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, a big use of this pharmakia and pharmacosis, you ready? I'm about to hit, touch the golden calf here, is drugs, mind-altering substances. The, in fact, the word pharmakia, as I'm sure many of you know, comes, uh, is where we get the English word for pharmacy. I want to tell you a story it's a true story not hyperbole not making it up there was a man who used to come to our church many many years ago down in baltimore and he was in recovery he was doing great and then eventually he he relapsed he left the church we don't hear from this guy for eight months you know we hope he's doing good won't return calls he's out of his gourd we find out eight months later that he is now a pastor of his own church. And you know, we find this information out. It was in the Baltimore Sun. They were taking communion with LSD to start the service off. They would be out of their minds and then they would start worshiping and they would they would come closer to God in their delirium. That is, in part, what this pharmacia pharmacosis, seems to be talking about. Taking drugs to have a spiritual experience with some deity uh, or, or even your own consciousness for enlightenment. A popular thing right now is psilocybin or mushrooms. A lot of people are taking those right now to have spiritual enlightened experiences with themselves, That is what this sorcery seems to be talking about, taking drugs to have a spiritual experience. And there's also a very real possibility that pharmakia can also be referring to just getting high or chemically altered state of mind, but again, seems to be emphasizing more of the spiritual nature of these these things for some sort of enlightenment. And here's how we apply this today. If Jesus three times reveals to us Mm -hmm. that chemical alteration... Mm -hmm is going to be one of Satan's great tools for evil in the end times, then us believers need to be very, very, very cautious what we put into our bodies. If this is one of Satan's great weapons listed to the thrice degree, then us believers who have been warned now must be very cautious and very wise and discerning when we come to pharmacy. Now, I'm going to say something it's going to, that's probably not going to be very popular, but here we are. Antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication, opioids, muscle relaxers, which cause CND, uh, whatever can affect the brain. This is unpopular for two reasons. One, I think there is a real need, a place for those things. When my disc exploded... In my lower back. I was so happy when the when the when the ambulance driver's like, we're gonna try to lot it on you. I go, Oh, thank God. Get this pain out of (laughs) here. And when they needed to put a big old zipper on my back and fillet me open and scoop stuff out, I was sure glad I was put asleep. (laughs) That sounds good to me. Mind altering, I'll take it. Of course. And on the serious side of things, there are people that really do struggle with chemical imbalances for anxiety and depression. And thank God, there are things that exist. I believe that God has allowed these things as a grace upon our culture to help people, of course. But that being said, Jesus just warned us. I'm also of the persuasion that just as much as these things can be a grace from God, they can also be fiery arrows from the evil one. One in six Americans are on these things. And I believe there are people who again who who need these medications. I do, but I believe that, that, that there are a lot of people who are on these things for the rest of their lives. And maybe it started off as a good thing, but now it's turned into an evil thing. And is and Satan is using this to harm you again. I don't say this as a pharmacist. I say this as a, as, a, as, a, as a minister of the gospel. And Jesus just warned us. And he's using this to degrade you, to lower your quality of life, to your joy, your witness. And again, I, I, I mean to be redundant. There is absolutely a place for medication. And, and I think, again, these things are part of the grace of God upon a fallen world. But I want you to read the scriptures. You will not find anywhere in the Bible where someone is under intense stress or depression or anxiety and God tells them to go take some opioids, to take the edge off. Drink a little so you're not so nervous. Calm down, you just don't see it. Romans 5 lays out plainly that God allows pressures in our lives to make us better. God does not allow pressures in our lives so we can find new and innovative ways to become numb to them. Again, for the fourth time, there is a place for medication. But Satan's plan, as we see in Revelation, is to promote and normalize chemical alteration for his end goal. And especially for the believer, we need to be extremely cautious and suspicious for anything that alters our mood and our thinking. And so, if you are on something, and if we're one in six Americans, it's probably a good bit of us. I'm not saying, flush it all down the toilet, it's from the devil. I'm not saying that. Uh, But but what I am saying is take a step back and see see if you're thriving mentally or or spiritually. Take a step back and see if your relationships are strained or or are degrading or maybe they're strengthening, I don't know. And above all, meet with the Lord about that. Go to God. He is our Father, and He gifts us good things. Go to Him. Because again, He warns us, He, he warns us that these things can be snares from the evil one. And when I, when I talk with a lot of people, I see it. I'm talking to someone, and they're, they just kind of seem dead. They've dulled themselves not only to pain, but to life. And so we just we need to be aware of this I'm not a pharmacist I'm not a doctor I don't want to be I'm just telling you as a minister of the gospel what Jesus warns us about here now the next one let's put a new finger in the eye sexual immorality. <laughs> Sexual immorality in the Greek is pornea. That's an appropriate word. Uh, primarily involves sexual evil lusts such as adultery, homosexuality, pornography. And this is the main way to understand the sin of pornea. And surprise, surprise, Satan has and is and will continue to weaponize lust to kill and degrade and pervert mankind. Again, if we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Satan hasn't changed one bit. And might I add, why would you change anything if it works? I want to look back at Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of men and were attractive. Uh, were attractive, And they took uh, as their wives as any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the hearts of his of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, "Our last verse: I will blot man out whom I have created from the face of the land, man and." Animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. It was the grace of sex, which God designed as a good thing, that Satan weaponized for evil. And this overt sexuality led to the flood. And it will lead again to the fire. <laughs> and so, here, just before the end of humanity, porn is one of the great weapons of the evil one. And we must be on guard. We must be on guard. And and let me tell you, I'll just, real quick pastor's note here. If you're engaging in entertainments that have pornea, what are you doing? Get rid of them. What is it? What we are told to flee from sexual temptation. You know what that means? Run like an active shooter just came in the room. Run as fast as you can. Leave. There you go. And then the final one, or their thefts. This is the only sin today that is not listed in the other two lists uh, repeatedly. So obviously it's still important, but doesn't hold the same prominence as the other. Uh, Now thefts, uh, theft will be a sin of the end times. What do I think this means? It probably means the forced acquisition of Christians' property. Uh, As we see over and over again, and the other examples of big government that I gave, uh, what did they do first? They took our stuff. And if you would just simply renounce Jesus, you can have it back. Awful tempting, isn't it? When you work 60 hours a week so you can get that extra big TV and those season tickets. Uh, but the faithful will say, no, I'd rather die. And it comes to that. That's today's text. One thought, it's a miracle. Don't worry, there's three after it. It's a trick. Uh, <laughs> Fighting for the lost. For six trumpets, God has been pouring out his wrath, his judgments upon the world. And then after six trumpet judgments, we read the words in our last verse, they did not repent. Jesus is revealing to us that for six trumpets, these judgments were not designed to just kill and hurt evil people. Can't we read the book of Revelation like it's a disaster movie? And then God blew them up and then God shot them with lightning. And then God, what we see here is the reason God is bringing all these things about is so the people will repent. He wants them to repent. God wants to see sinners saved and not come under eternal judgment. Yet after six brutal spankings, nothing. They're not sorry for their crimes. They would not stop stealing. They would not stop murdering. They would not stop sleeping around getting high and venerating false idols. They would not repent. Nothing. Not a drop. Now, God is so wise and so caring, and so merciful, and so patient. Instead of saying, that's it, <laughs> they're all going to burn. Wouldn't that be you? After years of just trying to get these people to understand, and they don't, I said they're going to die. Instead of doing that, chapter 10's about to start. And God says, so essentially, let me try something new. Instead of continuing in wrath to the seventh trumpet, there is a break, there's a ceasefire. And God sends two witnesses into Jerusalem to give the gospel. It's almost, almost as if God says, okay, they won't listen to the spankings. They're not listening to the wrath. They're not repenting from this. Maybe they'll listen to reason." And this is the pattern of God all through this book. If you can remember back to our time in chapter 7, 10 years ago, (laughs) you would remember after our sixth seal, there was a break. There was a ceasefire. And what did God do? He raised up 144,000 Jewish pastors and missionaries to save the lost. Now here we are, we just finished our sixth trumpet and God in his loving kindness is doing it again. He's going to now send in, instead of 144,000 witnesses, he's going to send in two powerhouse witnesses to save the lost. Loved ones, this leads to three mini thoughts before we go and this is not, don't worry, this isn't the the sermon that never ends. (laughs) And it goes on and on, my friends. I grew up with Lamb Shop. It's a thing. Uh, God, that song annoyed me so bad as a kid. Um, first, our God, the biblical God, is not the bad guy. <laughs> he is a God of immeasurable kindness and mercy and love. God is the hero of humanity, even in this chaos of this book. And here in Revelation, we are observing the end times and God's efforts to save the lost. And how did he first start? He first starts in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 with his church. And then what does the unbelieving world do? They stop listening and then kill the church. They silence the church. They send the church into exile. And then God sends six judgments, six seals, And when the people stop listening and repenting from the six seals, God sends the 144,000. 144,000 pastors and missionaries to save the lost uh, with faithful witnessing and reasoning again. And when that stops working, most likely the 144,000 are killed, God sends six trumpets. Maybe spankings will work this time. And so he tries, he sends six trumpets to break the people to repentance. And when people stop repenting in the trumpets, God then sends two special witnesses anointed for incredible works. And eventually, when the two witnesses are killed, the world will no longer listen to faithful witnessing and reason. God's gonna resume the judgments. (laughs) We have to understand here This this book is not a vicious cycle of God's anger on display. This is the cycle of God's glorious mercies poured out upon mankind to save people from their sins. God is using so many tools the church The 144,000, the angels, the cherub, prophecy, judgments, love, to use an expression, God's throwing everything but the kitchen sink at this people to reach their hard hearts. As I study this book, I'm starting to realize that all of these trumpets and all of these seals are so much of a window into God's pursuit of man. Yes, God is demonstrating his power. Yes, God is judging evil because evil must be judged. But what we are reminded of time and time again is that God is pursuing sinners. He's desiring to see these people saved, even though they killed his witnesses, even though they blaspheme him even though they do these sins that are completely contrary to God's intentions, God is chasing after even those who hate him in these passages. Think about Luke 15. And when, when the father saw the son a far way off, he girded up the loins of his cloth and ran to his boy. This is the heart of our God. He's running to broken people to restore them if they would yield And there come times in this book where there's repentance and salvation. And then there are times where there's hard-heartedness. And God says, okay, essentially, let's try something new. He's doing everything he can to save the last remnant of humanity before the end. Now, secondly, this is not only the way God operates in the end times. This is also how God operates now. Have you ever noticed? And maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. Have you ever noticed in some seasons of reading the Bible or, or or a good sermon can really move you to genuine change in action? Like you'll read the Bible some mornings and be like, "Oh God, thank you," you know. Or you'll come to come, you know, you'll leave here and go, "The pastor's so wonderful." No, no, not real. And then other seasons, pfft, nothing you're in church, you're reading the Bible and it's like, what did I just read? Let me try again and then six times through you go well, I'll try again next week or you're in service and you're just, what's for lunch today? It's kind of hot you, this section laughed too hard <laughs> or this, this sermon's taken forever why's that guy got the good chair? Oh, he's fat, that's why. Your your brain's just everywhere else. And in those seasons where we stop listening to faithful witness and reason, does God give up on us? No. He goes, okay, let's try something else. Let's refocus this child of mine. And sometimes he allows trials sometimes he allows a little worry to slip in there. A little need slip in there. And it's not that trials are proof of a lapse of faith, because that's a bad way to think too, right? Like God allows a trial. Oh, I'm a sinner. No, Jesus had trials. He was sinless. Okay, So that's a bad way to think. But at the same time, when we stop listening, God in his love and his mercy allows these things to refocus us. The book of Hebrews says, or Proverbs 3.12 says, to discipline us, to refocus his people. And this is what God is doing in Revelation, and this is how God even operates today. One of the reasons God is spending so much time in this book, think about it. God spent two chapters on the creation of the universe. We're on like chapter six of God destroying the earth. The reason God is spending so much time on these judgments is partly because He is showing us what He's willing to go through to save you, to refine you, to save your kids that are running wayward, to save your spouse who won't listen, to strengthen the church. That God is showing us the extents that He goes through to save sinners. This is a glorious picture of God's love, not of his villainy in these passages. Now the third thing and the last thing I want to say to you today is that there are times when God is reaching the lost by allowing trial or by turning up the pressure on a culture or as Hebrews 12.6 says, discipline. And sometimes people need discipline in order to come to common sense. Are you one of those people you one of those people that you gotta bump your head real good to go? Okay, I get it. <laughs> but what we see in Revelation is God's two-pronged approach. That yes, God uses hard times to bring people to Christ, but that He also uses His people, the church, to bring people to Christ. And this is what we have to see is the pattern in Revelation. In the pattern of the ceasefires of this book, that God raises up godly men and women to join in with him in saving the lost. God alternates between hard times and faithful witnessing all through this book as his two hammers to chisel through hard hearts. This is what he uses. And thinking of our context here, There is so much truth in that our country, we we need a supernatural intervention from God, don't we? We need a miracle because we're falling apart. But there's also the reality that we, the church, we are the supernatural intervention from God. We are the miracle that America needs. You know, sometimes I feel like the American church can act like a group of firefighters standing in front of a burning building and going, boy, someone should do something about that. (laughs) Loved ones, you're the people to do something about that. Our homes, our neighbors, our families, that's our burning building. This is our mission field that God has placed upon you. You don't... (laughs) You don't need to get in a plane to fly to Uganda somewhere to tell them about Jesus. You just need to step outside and walk 10 feet that way. Go tell people about Jesus. In a way, it's so much easier witnessing the strangers, isn't it? Because if you make a fool of yourself, you just get on a plane and leave. You live next to these people. (laughs) But this is your mission field that God has trained and equipped you for. You know, God tells us in Jude 23 that God has raised us up to save others by snatching them out of the fire. And loved ones, there's a fire right now. Not only are all people heading towards eternity, and for most people, that's a bad thing. But in our context, we are in international turmoil, or an economic turmoil. I had to sell one of my kidneys to drive here today. <laughs> Political turmoil. We're coming out of a pandemic and into an opioid and mental health crisis unlike anything we've ever seen. And as God's people, we need to ride out with the Lord and help and help people. And you know what the interesting thing is? because this could be a real rah-rah moment, right? Let's go storm the gates of hell. But isn't there a reality? You're gonna to go to your neighbor sometime this week because God opens the door and you start getting nervous and go, okay, here it goes. They need Jesus. And you tell them about Jesus and they go, God, you're weird. Or they yell at you or they don't listen. Isn't that true? Can't that happen? But you know what? The, the, the outcome of our witnessing is not our department. <laughs> That's HR. <laughs> it is not our job to make sure people are saved. We can't save anybody. That's God's job. Our job, as we see over and over and over again, not only in the Bible, not only in the Gospel, not only in Acts, not only in the Epistles, not only in the book of Revelation, but our, our job is that we just need to be faithful and witness. We just share the gospel and let God do with it what he wants. To bring the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And by grace, before we are in glory, he will use us to drag a few from out of the fire. And Lord willing, if we help just a few people before we meet the Lord in glory, what a wonderful, wonderful thing that will be to run into somebody in heaven and God gets all the glory believe me you're not that special you can't do anything but that God used you to save somebody think about that not only the earthly impact cuz they now go and they get excited and they tell their kids and their kids are changed and their kids are changed and their kids are changed. not only that but you're going to run into that person in heaven one day and they're gonna look at you and go, thank you for being used. <laughs> Maybe they won't, but it's cool. It's a cool thought. So I just wanna encourage you get out there. Satan is desperately trying to devour the people in our lives. And someone needs to help. Amen? But you're the one. <laughs> you're the one. You're the help. You're the backup. Until the Lord returns, and so get out there and do it. This is this God has laid this at your feet; the needs at your feet, so that you can be His extension on earth. This is what He's equipped you for. This is why you need armor. This is why you need a sword. This is why you need fruits of the spirit, not to make a juice bar somewhere, but that you may use it. Now let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We we thank you that in your abundant mercy, you warn us. (laughs) You let us know how Satan, the, uh, the, the enemy of our soul, seeks to devour us and our families. And God, what we ask, if appropriate, what we plead and seek and knock is that where Satan has gained a foothold in our lives that you may not only make us aware but may pull us from out of those fires. For those that have fallen into pharmakia or pornea or idolatry or murder in the heart, at least as Matthew 5 lays out, theft, time wasters, God, pull us out, clean us up, make us new. God, the scripture you've given me all week is, the joy of the Lord is our strength. God, fill us with joy of this so glorious salvation. That God, not only do you save people, God, but you, you protect us and keep us and provide for us in so many ways. So please, 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 God, fill us with joy. And make us new. And we ask for anyone here that does not know the Lord that they may humble themselves and resolve to live for you from this day forward. And we ask all of these things in accordance with your will and your goodness. We love you, God. in Jesus' name, all agreed said,
0: Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary, Baltimore. Please keep in touch. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. Finally, if you're unable to come see us in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast.